Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the December 2018 podcast. This being, of course, the festive edition. Now, you might think to yourself, well, how is this podcast going to be any different from any of the others that have been done this year? Well, the reason this one is different is because I'm sitting here with a very large red and white Santa hat on. Plus, I have a very long string of Christmas tree lights hanging around my neck. Not only are they hanging there, but I've got them on and they're in strobe mode, which means they are flashing frantically. And if that doesn't get me in the mood for the festive edition, I've no idea what will. Now, I've been a member of the Bristol Society of Magic for a very long time. In fact, right from when I was a student back at Bristol University in the 1970s. And although it's many years now since I moved away from Bristol down to Exeter, I've still maintained my membership. And so I still get the club magazine. And I was reading the latest issue the other day. And in there, there was a discussion that was prompted by something that had been discussed at the uh, committee level. And it was all to do with what is the difference between a close-up competition and a stand-up magic competition. You see, the club for years has had both. Uh, In the old days, it was very clearly defined. The stage competition was performed on a stage with an audience spread out in seats in front of it and the close-up competition was much more intimate. But these days, because of where where the club actually meets and where their venue is, the venue itself doesn't lend itself to having stage magic in the sense that there is no stage. And so as a result, what's happened is it's become more of a enlarged close-up and this has led some members to say well hang on a minute what's the difference then between the close-up competition and the stand-up competition if basically what the performers who enter it are doing is pretty much the same and it's quite an interesting thought isn't it really I mean how do you define it do you define it in terms of the tricks that are done so if a trick is not classed as a close-up effect then you can't do it in the close-up competition. And similarly, if, a, if a, an effect is not considered generally to be a stage effect, then if you're not considered to be a stage effect, you can't do it in the stage competition. But that doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? Because you, you think of some classic tricks like Paul Daniels' chop-cut routine. Uh, although he did use a larger ball than the standard chop-cut one, nevertheless, he presented it on a stage. And very effectively, he did it too. And then I think about other examples the other way around, where close-up acts have featured quite stagey um, sort of effects at the close-up table in the competition. I would think really that if you're trying to decide which is which, the only way you can sort of make an overall ruling is that, well, anything goes. If a performer takes a trick that's too small to be presented from a stage and attempts to do so, then he won't score well with the audience because they won't be able to see or perhaps even follow what he's doing. Similarly, if he does a trick at the close-up table that is really totally over the top and, and where there's not enough room to actually present it, then maybe, or the method is such that being very close gives away the method too easily, then clearly that's not right to put in the close-up act. But I don't think you can probably really define, um, in terms of the magic, which is which. It's up to the performer to present it. It's more to do with the presentation 
and and how you put across the magic surely rather than the magic itself because a lot of magic you know it's it's we def- give definitions for it oh that's a close-up trick and that's a stage trick but often the two are interchangeable anyway and uh, it, depending on how they are presented so to try and set up uh, two competitions and try to define what tricks are going to be done i don't think makes a lot of sense most of the time of course um magic competitions are done in in the same sort of way close up at big conventions needs big screen video in order for people to be able to do let's say a matrix or something small to make sure a large audience can see it Um, and under those circumstances you would then question well is it really a close-up competition well yes it is it's not the number of people watching it it's how the effect is put across could this effect be done at a restaurant table perhaps that's a definition that you could use if a trick can be done at a restaurant table then it could be put into the close-up competition mind you you would have to define that wouldn't you because a lot of the time because not so much of very big conventions but just larger groups of people if let's say you've got a hundred people trying to watch a close-up performer in a competition then they may may not have perhaps um sort of video assistance with big screens it may be up to the performer to pro- to project more in which case he's got to turn it into a mini cabaret if people are to understand and see what he's doing so it's tricky isn't it it's a bit of a juggling act i don't think it really matters i think if you can go into either competition and present an act that the people enjoy then you deserve to win if you're the best one there and it doesn't really make any difference what the competition is called it just gives you a guideline as perhaps to the size of audience so close-up competition well it's magic generally designed for small groups the stage competition by general definition it's meant to be for larger groups but what you do and how you do it would be entirely up to you it's often said isn't it that people's attention span has got shorter not just children but adults as well and i think certainly when you're a, a close up performer and working commercially you do notice that people are much more distracted than they used to be i think it's partly due to the technology that people are carrying in their pockets um the mobile phone as we've discussed before is something that is very intrusive it's used for, in so many different ways these days and people are almost obsessed with constantly fiddling with it and checking for updates and sending messages and and taking photos and and doing all the other things that they do with their phone and it it does mean that their attention is divided between the real world and the world that is encompassed inside their phone but is the attention span actually shorter i think people are encouraged i mean if you look at the way television programs are done the way the the um, pictures are changed constantly that the length of any shot especially in let's say music related programs or entertainment programs generally the the camera work doesn't rest on the artist for very long constant changes of angles and changes almost of tempo as well sometimes means it's all very scattergun you get programs don't you where it's they're broken up into tiny bits they tell you what they they're going to be talking about in the program and and they give you a little run through in the first minute and a half showing you little extracts of it 
apparently in order to get you interested personally it can turns me off completely but nevertheless that's what they do and then they start to get into the program and then if it's a commercial um, television channel they'll break for adverts and then when they come back after the adverts they'll tell you again what they've just told you in the first segment and what they intend to tell you again further on into the second segment and then they actually get so it's it's all broken up and very piecemeal so when we start to do our magic for people i i think it's sometimes there are certain situations busy dinners is a, is a classic case in point where longer routines are no longer possible unless those routines are split up into quick visual bite-sized elements a lot of patter building up to a particular magical moment is much more difficult to pull off these days because people just won't wait. There's a certain feeling of, come on, come on, come on, get on with it. And and that, I think, is a pity. Uh, there is a lot of magic out there these days that is very quick to perform. And having a few of these tricks, if they are able to be reset and are practical enough to do, it's quite good to have a few of those because there are occasions where due to the circumstances, the amount of noise, um, other things going on in the room, doing a longer routine where the people have to concentrate for more than a couple of minutes in one go just simply isn't going to work. You need to have something that is bang, 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 there you are, there it's done. I don't personally like that. I mean, I think it's a great pity. And that's why I really prefer when I'm doing a show that's much more intimate, where you've got a dozen people sat round a table, they're having a meal, they're very relaxed, and where you do a proper show for them for three quarters of an hour of close-up, I really prefer that than the going from table to table where you've got to dash in, show them something quick and then move on. But I guess it's a, a sign of the times, isn't it? And, and magic has to move with those times. And if the circumstances are not right for longer routines then i think we have to realize that, okay then i there are circumstances which i need to be sensitive to the fact that i cannot do these longer routines and i'm going to have to cut out a lot of the business going to have to cut out a lot of the talk in order to get to the point quicker in order for people to enjoy what i do as i say i do think it's a pity but it is something that i think we need to think about when I was a youngster first getting into magic, when a magic magazine arrived, I used to have Harry Stanley's The Gen, for instance, and it came once a month. When that arrived, that was a real high point of my magical month. Suddenly there was a whole load of stuff to read and get excited about. Adverts to, in, with products that I couldn't afford but wish I could and reading articles and tricks, learning new tricks and so on and so forth. So it was a uh, in the middle of the month if you like if that's when it came or the end of the month that I used to build up to that arriving I used to go out and look on the mat to see whether today's poster brought the gen magazine and I was reflecting on how that has now changed so dramatically because we don't get so much now these key moments of magical interest because there is so much magic out there that we can avail ourselves of that I think sometimes some of us can get to the point we almost have magic fatigue. And I, I, I started to notice this a few years ago uh, when having a dealer stand at conventions. Whereas in the in, in 
sort of previous years, what would happen is people would excitedly race into the dealer hall to f- and rush up to the dealers to find out what was new. Because they'd already seen it all online or they'd had emails from dealers sort of uh, giving advance notice of what was new, that little free song of excitement disappeared. They might still go to the dealer to see it or to purchase it, but there wasn't that real intense excitement. And, and so as people were walking around, they would come up to you, to the stand and they, they kind of looked tired and jaded, which is is kind of odd when you're at, a say, an event like Blackpool. I know it's a, it's a marathon, Blackpool, and it, it is tiring. But nevertheless, a lot of people didn't seem to have that free song of excitement that you perhaps might expect when they're attending a, an exciting event such as the Blackpool Convention. Because when you do think about it, we are almost overloaded with magic content if we choose to be. Podcasts such as this. The podcasts didn't exist, did they? Now there are lots of magic podcasts that you can listen to if you want to. You've got certain dealers, If you once you get onto their lists, they will send you regular, very regular in some cases, updates of all the latest releases and and offers and various other things that they have so it may well be that you get something every single day or several things on some occasions into your inbox which you then perhaps do or don't look at but it's nevertheless asking you to give it some attention you've got masses and masses of 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 magic that you can watch on youtube you know what that's like You, you start by looking at one thing that you've heard recommended and then that leads you to another, another. Next thing you know, three hours have gone by and all you've done is watch magic on YouTube. Magic on TV, not as much sometimes as there are others, but there are usually programmes at some point, whether it's repeats of Darren shows or Dynamo shows or any others for that matter, or whether it's new new magic things like Foolus uh, in current series or something like that. There's lots to watch there too, especially with catch-up TV. You don't have to, if you miss it, you don't have to catch it live. You can always go and watch it on catch-up. Then, of course, you've got social media, things like Facebook feeds. Maybe you're involved in lots of those. Twitter feeds in the same way. Maybe you're following some magicians on that. Again, bombarding you with information and posts for you to absorb and to read. Then, of course, going to conventions, um, having magazines and just the sheer number of new tricks, perhaps, that are being released onto the marketplace and demanding your attention. There is so much. And this is just in the magic world. Never mind the rest of your life where you're getting bombarded by similar things to do with other areas of interest. So I can see why people might get a bit jaded. Now, instead of a a new book appearing being a big event, now it's just one of many, many things that you're being asked to think about and absorb and maybe respond to. And I think for producers of material, uh, it makes it more difficult because people have less time and possibly less attention to give because there's so many other things that they could be doing. And and so it is harder to get information out there and across them so that people actually get to listen to it. So do you suffer from magic fatigue in any way or do you still feel come to it, still come to it fresh and excited every every time something new happens? Last month, I had the pleasure of lecturing to the South Downs magicians who meet in a venue in a little place called Handcross, which is near Horsham in Sussex. 
And because um, it is in Paul Gordon sort of territory, as it were, I contacted Paul, who I've known for many years, and said to him, do you want to get together for a meal before the lecture? And happily, he was free. And so we did. We, we met up in a, in a pub and for a couple of hours, we uh, had a very nice meal, which, by the way, Paul treated me to unexpectedly. Well, I was very kind of him. Thank you for that, Paul. And um, it was great because we just the two of us had a chance to kind of catch up, but also to talk about the various things in magic that either amuse us, annoy us or that we've just experienced. And because the two of us were of similar age, I'm a bit older than him, but um, we're of similar age. So we and we've been going a similar amount of time, I suppose. He does lectures, he publishes books and, and, and so on and so forth. And obviously so do I. So we have quite a lot in common. And um, and we've met at various times briefly uh, around the world, including in America and places like that and being able to, to have a chat. But this was one of the first times that we'd had an extended period like this just to chat and we, we had we had so much fun we had a lot of laughs and um, talking about all the funny things that have happened to us over the years and and it reminded me how pleasant it is when you find somebody else in magic who you can do that with because you can't just do this with anybody you need to find somebody ideally a that you've known for a while perhaps um, you don't have to know them well but you have to know them enough so that they understand where you're coming from and what your experiences might be and who has also got something to give of their own who have experience somebody who has experiences and and who is able to and willing to talk to you about them and when you do and you kind of swap stories like that it's it's really really pleasing because i think a lot of the time magic especially for pros pro performers can be quite a lonely existence you know, most of the time we, we're not working in an office, are we? We're not mixing with colleagues, work colleagues. Most of the time we are going out and performing on our own and then going home again. And although if you go to a magic club, you have some interaction, obviously, with the members there, it's not the same as seeing per people on a regular basis in, a, say, every day in a workplace or when you're a kid every day at school where you suddenly have a lot of things in common. The things you have in common with other people, you don't always see the people. And that's why when Paul and I were able to get together, all the things we had in common suddenly came to the fore. And uh, and it was a great fun. And also this this thing about I know you can ring people. I know you can you can have WhatsApp groups with people. You can have share Facebook feeds with them. You, you know, you could there are all sorts of different things, ways that you can contact people these days. But there really is nothing quite like sitting down with somebody for a couple of hours, having a relaxed meal and just chatting face to face. Conversations face to face, of course, they go off at all lots of different tangents and can and can go places that no other form of contact perhaps will. So it was great to see Paul and appreciate him taking the time to uh, to come and spend a couple of hours with me prior to the lecture. And uh, and it reminded me just how much fun something like that can be. One of the things that lay people often ask me when uh, they find out I'm a magician and it's this time of year is they say, oh, um, December must be your busiest time of year. And strangely, these days, I would say it, it isn't really. It's in fact, it's 
although slightly better than most average months, it's not actually that much better. Now, there are a number of reasons why this could be. One is that for me personally, whereas I used to do a lot of children's shows over the last few years, I've gradually scaled back on those. And now I don't advertise it at all. I only do children's shows for people who know that I do children's magic and they ask me to perform and I will do it for them. But I don't advertise it at all. I prefer to concentrate on the adult side of my business. But even on that side, too, um, I think there is less demand. I mean, years ago, when you got just past the summer, you got into September, inquiries would start to come in very quickly for December in September. And gradually over the last decade, I've noticed that the, the lead time has has sort of, instead of it being two or three months, has got shorter and shorter and shorter to the point where some people are, are making inquiries either right at the end of November or even into December itself. Can you come next week? And I'm not quite sure why this is. If they have having an event at the last minute, well, OK, then they need to find entertainment at the last minute. But I, I suspect that often it's not. Uh, I think that people have got so many other things going on in their lives that they, a lot of people don't get round to sorting things out as early as they used to. Their, their lives are too frantic, too full of stuff, and they're, they're running to stand still. And it's not until their party, uh, they, oh, God, we've got a, the Christmas party. When is it? Oh, no, it's two weeks' time. Quick, uh, we need to do something. So I think there's an element of that that can account for why inquiries come in so late. And I think there's also, certainly for me, but it may just be me, I don't know, but in my area, that there seems to be less going on for Christmas that we could get involved with, that I can get involved with. Big companies and office parties and this sort of things, having these types of events, there seem to be less on. They do still happen, of course they do. Big dinners still happen, Christmas dinners. Venues are still doing their Christmas event and hiring. You know, companies can buy a table or tables to be at a big general party and so on and so forth. But I don't think as many companies are doing their own events as, as they used to. Probably the cost of it um, and the nuisance factor of having to organise it maybe. Uh, there could be a whole number of reasons why um, this is not done as much. So... Uh, there does seem to be a downturn. And I often find that there are other months in the year where I'm much busier with shows than I am in December, which which is a strange new reality for me personally. You know, I had, I had a month earlier in the year where I was really, really busy. And I thought, gosh, I've had more shows this month than I had last December. And does it matter? I'm not sure whether it matters or not. They say, make hay while the sun shines. You know, if, if the shows are out there and the inquiries come in and you can get them, well, brilliant. You're not going to turn them down, are you? But I've noticed that the, the number of inquiries is not as strong as it was at one time. And here we are. I'm recording this in, in the middle of November and I've still got plenty of capacity left in December. And I wouldn't be surprised if over the next two weeks there was a sudden little influx of inquiries in a way that I would have expected them back in September, October, not that long ago. So have you found the same thing? Do you, do you find that inquiries are less or do you have lots of regular shows? And maybe for you and in your area, there is no downturn. I, I know there are some people, um, my friend Jay Fortune, he, he always says in terms of London, for instance, that he found when he was working there, 
that people had got fed up with magic and that they, they didn't want magicians so much at events because they everywhere they went there were magicians and the, and the pitch has been queered for that sort of thing and people want something different now. And there are performers who refuse to call themselves magicians. They've come up with some other term in order to sort of get themselves in because if you put the word magician, people won't book you. Don't know if that's countrywide. Don't know if that's just London. Don't know even if it's true. He claims that his experience was that it certainly was true. But for whatever reason, certainly for me, December is not the Christmas rush that it used to be. American card magician John Bannon is somebody I have a lot of time for. I've known John for many, many years and have had a number of um, very interesting discussions with him at uh, 4Fs and, and at various other places. And in fact, one of my symposium conventions when we were doing the British Close-Up Magic Symposium, um, he was one of the performers and we did a discussion. And every time I think of John, I remember one particular moment um, in that particular discussion that we had at the convention in which he gave the, the opinion, and this was going back probably 10 or 15 years, he was, he was saying that the, the archetypal commercial close-up magician, you know, the guy who goes from table to table or group to group, he's kind of funny, very light-hearted, chuck away lines, um, quick magic, that that type of uh, persona was very, very common. Every, not everybody, but most people were conforming to that type of performer. And he, he's, his view was, well, maybe we're getting to the point where something new, somebody needs to come up with something new. He didn't say what that was, and I don't think he knew what that was. In fact, I think at the time he may have admitted, so I'm not sure what this is, but maybe we need to have something new. And coming on from my from the previous topic that I've just been discussing about whether you know shows are down, is it because and where some people say that close up magic's not as popular as it was, is that because the archetypal stereotypical close up magician is becoming hackneyed? Well, if he is, what is the alternative? Now you could say, well, actually, a strolling mentalist, of which now there are many that they are the, the the slightly different approach where they're dealing with people's perceptions people's minds is becoming the new go-to performance um, modus operandi if you like that that it's not the flying ring and sponge balls it's it's more to do with mind stuff yep maybe or is it not to do with the material itself but is it to do with where the magic is performed uh, I mean, there's a lot to be said for the fact that as strolling magicians or table hopping magicians, the conditions that we're often required to perform in are really, really not very good at all. They're not conducive to good magic. Um, there's so much else going on and we're a bit of a sideshow. So maybe is it time to have a different format? I don't know. You have a you have a dinner instead of performing at the tables. There is a side room and tables are invited, almost like going out for a buffet, to come out and visit you. And you do a performance for five or six minutes and they go back to the table. I don't know. Some people, I believe, do do something or something like that. Some people would like to do something like that. Um, and it might be a possibility if it was practical to do it. Whether it would work, I don't know. Whether people wouldn't actually want to get up from the table and go out just to see a magician. Not really sure. And how that would work in... in, in, in 
cahoots with uh, having to try and do a meal, eat a meal at the same time. Of course, again, that, that may not work. But thinking about how you could change it, how you could be a different type of performer or do different magic or do magic in a different way, how you could present not what we do now, but something that's a, that was that is equally interesting to the lay public and which will work in most commercial situations, but which is different from what's happening right now is quite a challenge. And and when John actually posed that, I, I spent on and off quite a bit of time thinking about, well, OK, so what? What could you do? And and I've never really come up with a convincing answer, one that I feel would work in all situations. So maybe just maybe there isn't a particular answer to this maybe it's one of those things that we would like to be able to do but actually it's not possible so uh, it could be that but I would really like to think that there is something else that we could change reinvent ourselves so that we come up fresh again because if we could do that then maybe the, the the number of bookings and the number of inquiries would go up again, rather like they do when there's a successful TV magician who stimulates interest in, in say, close-up magic, and then people locally come to you because you're the local version of Dynamo on television. Um, it's that sort of thing, only with a different type of format or a different type of magic. Interesting thought, though, isn't it? What, what could we do that would be different? Well, there we are. That's the festive issue of the Mark Leverage podcast. Um, thank you for listening. If you're going to be working lots over December, as I hope that you are, then I hope it all goes well. Have a great time and enjoy your own personal Christmas once you get to it. And I'll look forward to being back here with some more observations on the magic world in January. Bye for now.